this is Dr. Nadev Minal. I'm a professor of literature at the L'Ecole Normale Superior in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and I am also a translator. Can you share with us what what's a day like for a translator? How do you what's what are tools that you use and some of the surprises that you run into sometimes? I think translators use all of the tools at our disposal, and those tools include dictionaries, they include people, they include translating apps, different programs, um, a lot of different things. At the end of the day, you have to take all of that and make it together and make a cohesive, put it together, make a cohesive text, and be sure that what you've translated is faithful to the original text, but also comprehensible to someone who does not speak or read the original language. There's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of going back and forth. One story I like to tell is one time I had, I was preparing a translation of a text, an essay that was in English, and I had to put it in into Creole. And there's a translation of, there was in the original text, there was a passage about vegetation. And there was the, the, the adjective lush in English. And I, when I translate, I do a first run through just off the top of my head, trying to just come up with the words and phrases myself without necessarily going back and forth to a dictionary all the time. And so I'm translating and I come across this word lush and I can't remember how I would render that in Creole. And so since I'm doing this on my computer, I go to Google Translate and I put in lush and it tells me caca clearin. And that completely took me out of the translation because I was like, how did they come up with this? And who did this? And this is so awful. And this is why we should not be using these things because it makes no sense. And then I took a second and stepped back from the text I was translating to think that, oh, yes, someone who drinks a lot is also called a lush. And so that was the translation that was provided. So this is just to illustrate that, yes, I was using the tool Google Translate, but if I did not master the language enough, I could have just put the word that I had gotten into my text, which would have made, of course, no sense as a descriptor for the vegetation, which is the sense in which um, Lush was being used in that particular instance. It had nothing at all to do with drinking alcohol. So yes, we use these different tools, but at the end of the day, the translator has to know what um, what she's doing. Are there works you've translated that, in hindsight, you wish you could go back and correct? Oh, I think it, when I look at a text that I've translated, there's always something that I would change or fix or say in a better way. I don't think I've ever read a text that I've translated and said to myself, it's perfect. Um, and so, you know, that's why I have deadlines, I guess, <laughs> because at some point you have to turn it in and be done with it. And I especially like, I had one translation that I worked on, I sent it in and due to, I don't know what happened with the production process, but it took a year for that text to be translated. And it was just an article. It wasn't long. It wasn't a book. Um, but they sent it back to me a year later to check. And I was so grateful because I had so much distance from that check, from that text, and I could look at it with fresh eyes. And I did make a lot of changes to that particular text. But I think each time I translate and I submit it, I think it's as good as I can get it at that particular point in time. Um, I don't think that I 
Yeah, I think it's just a, a question of distance from the text, having time and distance from the text. And so a lot of times when I give people, for example, quotes for how long it will take me to translate something, the bulk of that time is just building in time for me to have distance from the text. I actually, the actual translation goes pretty quickly, but then I need to have a few days or a few weeks, depending on how long the text is, to kind of step back, move to something else and come back to it and now try to read it again and look at it again more critically and see if there are changes to be made. But yeah, I don't, I don't think I've translated anything which, where I feel like it's completely perfect. There's nothing at all that could be changed. What's changed with Creole in the last, say, 20 years What's been some of the noticeable changes you've seen you know, institutionally at the cultural or individual level? I guess over the past 20 or 30 years or so, something that has really struck me in terms of the evolution of Creole within Haiti is how much more prevalent it has become in written form, right? Um, Creole was always very much present in Haiti in its oral form. And I feel like the written form was kept to certain pockets, right? Certain little pockets of Haitian literature or people who were very committed to the language and who insisted on using it in its written form. But it was, you could avoid it if you wanted to, right? Um, whereas now I feel like Creole is a lot more prevalent in its written form and you can't avoid it, which is obviously a great thing, right? Um, if we're talking about ads, publicity, it's very present. If you think about different apps on people's phones, um, different services that you use, when you think about text messages, I, I just feel like you see a lot more written Creole. And a lot of it is poorly written Creole, spelling is off, grammatical errors, etc. But you have to go through that, right, to get to a point where people are using the standard, the standard is built and um, reinforced by popular usage. For that to happen, it has to be used. And so I think that's a really great thing to see. Of course, there are areas where it should be used more and it's not. Um, a big one is the, the legal world, right? Um, when you think about laws and just judgments that are being handed down and that kind of thing um, where Creole should be used a lot more and is not. So that's a place where we're lagging. But it's that's I for me, I feel like that's the biggest change that I've seen over the past few decades is just the increased prevalence of written Creole in society. Are you scared of AI and what it might do or will do for your particular field or ecosystem, the translator's ecosystem? I am actually not that concerned about AI at all one way or the other. It's just not very high on my list of concerns. Um, but I don't, I don't think that AI can replace people, humans, as easily as some people think. Um, I feel like it can help make the task easier, right? As when we use things like human, um, like Google Translate and, and other similar apps or programs. But at the end of the day, you still need a human to read what was given to you and to see if it's um, correct or not, right? To see if it fits. It might be linguistically correct, but not appropriate for whatever particular context that you're working in. And so, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too concerned 
about AI um, replacing translators and especially not translators from or into Haitian Creole, it's still a very hard language to work with in terms of translation, not because of anything specific to the actual language itself, but just because of the number of tools that are lacking. There's a huge, huge difference between when I translate between French and English and when I translate between Haitian and Creole and English, just because in French, there's so many more tools available in terms of dictionaries, in terms of resources, in terms of translator communities, right? Um, there are whole websites where you that are populated by translators working between French and English, and you can ask a question and someone will answer you and say, no, how about you say it this way and this sounds better, or this is specific to French in this region and that's specific to that type of English. Um, you don't have that community in terms of Creole translation. Some of it is because, you know, a lot more people speak French around the world than Haitian Creole, and a lot of it also has to do with just resources um, that are put towards the language. So, I mean, the, the lack of decent um, Haitian Creole dictionaries, whether just a, you know, Creole to Creole uh, dictionary or bilingual dictionaries, um, it's something that really hinders uh, translation work and makes it a lot more time intensive and um, it just <laughs> makes the work a lot harder. So yeah, I'm not I'm not concerned at all about AI replacing translators, especially uh, in terms of Haitian Creole anytime soon. are handed a project to translate. It's you, your experience, the text. Now you're done with that project and you hand it off. Does anyone else double check the final translation you did to make sure it's correct? Or is it assumed that the work is solid because of your great reputation and the academy? Um, this is actually a great question. A lot of the times when I'm doing a translation project, the person who has hired me to do the project does not necessarily speak both of the languages in question, right? Um, whether I'm translating from French or Creole into English or from English into one of those other two languages. And so it would be hard for the person to double check the final translation. Oftentimes what will happen with uh, when a press is involved is, for example, if I've translated the text into English, then they will read the English and see if it sounds smooth, if it sounds natural to the ear, and then send it back to me with anything that they've noticed. And I will compare that to the original and see if there's anywhere I want to tinker with the translation, um, edit something. Um, other times what happens is I myself will either hire an editor or there will be editors assigned to the project and we'll work together. Oftentimes the editor does speak both languages, although maybe not at the same level as I do for both of them. But then that the editor will be able to say, well, this word, um, maybe you could, here's another suggestion, another way that you could say that. Um, and I've done this for historical texts, especially because sometimes, you know, the word I'm translating is the correct word, but it's the correct word for the 21st century and not necessarily the 19th century, for example. 
So that's something that will come up. Or if I'm translating a work in a particular field, for example, when I worked on um, Jinai Rilis's book, Why Haiti Needs New Narratives, there I would contact anthropologists just to see if there was a word that was in usage um, that I perhaps was not familiar with because that's not a, a discipline that I work in in Creole, for example. So there are instances like that, but most time no one double checks the final translation as a translation. It's read as a text to see if it makes sense, if it's coherent, if it's grammatically correct, punctuation's correct, the spellings, all of the normal copy editing, editing stuff that's done. But a lot of times it's not double checked as a translation. And I guess that means that translation is a field that does rely a lot on um, reputation. I know personally, I know a lot of Haitian authors and oftentimes they will, when their texts are translated into English, they'll either send me the text or a portion of the text and ask me what I think about the translation. Does it seem like it's okay? Does it seem faithful to the original if they themselves do not um, speak English? So a lot of times you just rely on people you know to let you know um, what the translation is like.